Well, we are going to spend some time looking into God's Word, continuing our series on renovation out of the book of 2 Corinthians. And we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 today. And we have about eight, uh, 15 verses to look at, but I do really uh, feel like we're going to be focused in on the first chunk of verses from this. And what I want to do is probably... Uh, I was going to say this. It's, it's so good to have our kids in the service with us this morning, and I hope they got the little coloring sheet. One of the things I remember when I was a kid, I liked dot to dot. And I just wanted to point out this morning might feel a little bit like dot to dot. You know, so I'm just going to throw out some ideas, uh, and then you're going to connect all the dots, and the Holy Spirit is going to complete the picture and help you apply that to your life. Does that make sense? Was that like a veiled disclaimer right there? I think so. All right, but... Uh, there's a lot of beautiful things in this passage, uh, and so this morning we're going to talk about marriage and uh, deception and uh, masquerading as angel of light, and so there's a lot of good uh, things to be reminded of and challenged by, but let's jump in together. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. I wish you'd put up with a little foolishness from me. Yes, do put up with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Because I have promised you in marriage to one husband, to present a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a complete and pure devotion to Christ. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit, which you had not received, or a different gospel, which you had not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. Now I consider myself in no way inferior to the super apostles. Though untrained in public speaking, I am certainly not untrained in knowledge. Indeed, we have always made clear to you in everything made that clear to you and everything? Or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached a gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by taking pay from them to minister to you. When I was present with you and in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. I have kept myself and will keep myself from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of... How do they say that? Achaia? Asaya? Achaia? Verse 11, why? I know what it is, though. It's that land over there in Greece that makes up all these cities like Corinth and all these surrounding areas. But I haven't been in here to listen to how Pastor Kurt and Pastor Matt says it, so I was trying to, you know, align with, you know, their pronunciation. Verse 11, why? Because, is this because I don't love you? Well, God knows that I do. Verse 12, but I will continue to do what I'm doing in order to deny the opportunity of those who want an opportunity to be regarded just as our equals in what they boast about. For such people are false prophets, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, 
For Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it's no great thing if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their destiny will be according to their works. All right, these are some harsh words from Paul. He is at the center of his argument, and in here there's embedded this a lot of uh, insight into what it is that Paul's really addressing, what, what the Corinthians are really saying, and what the super apostles or the, these false prophets, uh, what, they were, what message they were trying to deliver. But I want to go back to the beginning, like I said, in these first four to five verses. I think we need to preface, this is, this is kind of like a, uh, a, a preamble of, of our message. Like, what's really happening here is Paul is continuing to give uh, a defense of his, of his authority and, and his position and his role of their preacher. We were still in this mode, and, and here in the first like, five verses, we end up with like three arguments Three arguments for what? These are three arguments for why I want you, or Paul wants them, to put up with him, to tolerate him just a little bit. What did he ask him to put up with? Put up with a little bit of foolishness. So there's just a little bit of folly here. See, Paul wants to give in these verses three grounds, three reasons uh, for his appeal for them to bear with them a little bit. And I need to set this up because over the next couple of weeks, you're still going to be hearing about Paul talking about this folly and about this foolishness that he's, he's choosing uh, to enter into. Later he'll say, but you forced me into it. I had to go here in order to communicate to you what I'm trying to communicate. I had to go this way. So the first thing, he, he has a jealousy God's jealousy for the Corinthians. That's his first reason that I want you to put up with a little bit of folly here. Is his jealousy for the Corinthians, especially when he sees them as in danger. Number two, it's their willingness to put up with rivals who presented an adulterated message. And third, his claim is to not be in the least inferior in any way. He's does not see himself as inferior to the super apostles. So these three, these are three reasons, substantial reasons for his appeal for tolerate, tolerant, tolerate this. It actually indicates that he's really uneasy going this direction at the prospect of entering into this forbidden territory of self-promotion and this, this, the realm of comparison. We talked about comparisons last week, right? I hope so. <laughs> and his clear, he's clear in his thinking that he realizes that there's a danger. There's a danger in going into this, in imita imitating, doing the exact same thing that his opponents are doing, like stooping to their level. Right? Do you see that in there? But he's like, do this for, yeah, go ahead and just put up with this just for a minute. I need to say some things. And here's why I want you to do that. Those three things. But let's get into his description. Uh, analogy that he uses. Who are, the, who are the people, the characters involved in this little piece of scripture right here? Verses, uh, you know, one to five here in, in 2 Corinthians. Who do we have? 
Okay, so first of all, on, on the very obvious level, we have Paul, right? He says, now I, Paul. Okay, so we have Paul. We're going to come back to him in a second. And then he's talking to who? The Corinthians. So we have the Corinthians involved in this. And then we have something else involved. Another group. These false teachers, right? These deceivers, these people who are bringing in something new into the equation. All right. He says, now I, Paul, I'm going to make this appeal to you. Put up with a little bit of foolishness. Because I'm jealous for you. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. Okay. Now, who do we have in our story? We have Christ... Say it, I can't hear you if you don't say it loud enough. The, okay, we have a bride. The church, who is the... Okay. Christ is the... The groom, the bride, is the church. And then we... What's Paul's role? Okay, the matchmaker. Okay. He's the father of the bride. I was going to take a minute to talk about being father of the bride. Not that I've ever been it. But every time I go to a wedding, and I've only been to a few, I don't know, like, what women think about at a wedding. You know what I mean? I think they're thinking about, that looks pretty. Look at her dress. Look at the smile. Oh, that guy just fell over. Uh, but, like, ever since I've had daughters, there's this other level to it. I'm like, man. I can't imagine what that dad, the dad gets this tiny little piece too. He's like, I do. Or her mother and I do. If he gets a little bit extra, he can, my beautiful wife and I. (laughs) No, he doesn't doesn't get a speech, right? All he gets is like two little words and then like maybe a dance at the end of the thing. And I'm like, man, but the dad who's giving his daughter over to marriage. Wow, that's a, a beautiful and just a, just a mixture of emotions, you know what I mean? Paul's saying, you know what? I feel like I'm the one that has, has betrothed you. I've promised you in marriage to somebody. And my goal was to present to this somebody, someone with a pure devotion. There's this marriage that's going to happen. You know, they had two pieces in, in, their, in their system back in the day, kind of like we do. We get engaged, right? The guy pops the question, right? Will you marry me? And she says, forget it. She says, yes. And now they're engaged to be married, right? They're betrothed. Traditionally, we still have it where a guy should go to the the father of the bride and say, hey, I would like to have your hand. Oh, that reminded me of a skit I just saw. Anybody remember that skit? I would like your daughter's hand in marriage. And they're like, oh, that's gross. And, then, and they're like, and they're like, no, 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 not her hand. I would like Oliver. And then they're like, her pet chicken? <laughs> no, not her pet chicken named Oliver. I would like Oliver. 
Okay, I guess you had to see it. I guess you had to be there. Next week, you can sign up. You can sign up after the, you know, on the counter and in the back. Sign up for next year. No, but um, what in the world am I talking about? Marriage. Oh, yeah, father of the bride. So there's this desire. Uh, oh, yeah, and the, and the, the gentleman would go to the father and say, could I have her hand in marriage? And there's this, there's this an arrangement and then, like, yeah, that'll just cost you $2,000, and we'll make this happen, you know. No, but back in the day, Old Testament, there was weird stuff like that. Yeah, you can have this many sheep and all this stuff. But, like, um, Paul's concerned. He's like, I've already promised you in marriage. But what would happen, like, in that engagement time, right, if, if somebody starts kind of, like, approaching... The woman, is that like okay? Right, like is, it, is, it, is the groom still like, well, just kind of thinking about it. D- do what you want. You know what I mean? No, there's like this expectation. No, you're setting yourself apart. For me, you've said that you would be mine. One day we will be together when we finally, you know, spend all that money and, you know, get those pretty flowers for the women to look at. Then it will be official. No, it's not ridiculous. I made it sound ridiculous, but it's not really. I was teasing. Um, but there's this period of betrothal even in our, in our day now. Some make it quick, but some it's a couple years long. You know what I mean? And there's this opportunity to grow and to learn about the other person and to, to start asking questions that you really probably shouldn't have started asking yet, but now let's talk through some of these things. Let's figure out some, uh, the direction that we're headed together. And let's make Christ the center of this. But we're not, but it's not consummated yet until that, that day, until that, the, the, the ceremony, you know, that, that, you ha- that you have. It's a beautiful thing. But Paul's worried. He's worried, and he hearkens back to this situation with Adam and Eve. And he says, I feel like it's going to, I feel like it's like Eve when she was in the garden and Satan came and she was deceived. Her, Her mind was tricked, deceived. That you're going to start listening to these other apostles that some other person is going to come in here into the situation, into this relationship and this betrothal and start flirting with you. And that your heart is going to start moving towards this flirtation and the flattery. I'm concerned because someone comes in and they start talking about another Jesus or another spirit and another gospel and you sure put up with it pretty well. Look how easy it was for you to entertain that. The fake gospel. Thank you, Wes. And he's concerned. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. I just wanted to mention a couple things out of the next couple sections that we have in front of us. I consider myself in no way inferior to the super apostles, I might be untrained in public speaking. I'm certainly not untrained in the knowledge. I have the knowledge. We've always made that very clear to you in the beginning. 
Why is it considered a sin? I didn't commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge. Now, it seems kind of silly in my limited perspective that the Corinthians were like, you didn't even charge us for the gospel. But there is a reality here. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. He's like, I have every right to be provided for through the gospel. It kind of reminds me of the Levites in the Old Testament who weren't able to own land and like raise crops and do all that stuff. They, they lived off the, 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 the temple system and the, the food that was provided. And they, uh, they, they were dependent on, they were like servants of, of the gospel uh, or of God's law. And, and that's their allotment. That was their portion. And at any rate, Paul says, I have a right I completely have a right to be, uh, f- like, for my sustenance to be provided for by the gospel. But I didn't exercise that right. And here he's saying, are you serious? Like, was this a sin that I humble myself so that you can be exalted? So that, because I preach the gospel free of charge without pay. When I was present with you, verse 9, and in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia. Remember, he had his brothers come, Titus, and and those that came, and they brought gifts that were provided from Macedonia. I've kept myself, I will keep myself from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine uh, will not be stopped in this region. Why? Wait, is it because I don't love you? God knows I love you, all right? You follow with his, what he's trying to get through to the Corinthians in, the, in this letter. So not only do I not apologize for not charging you last time I was here, but, verse 12, I will continue to do what I'm doing in order to deny the opportunity of those who want an opportunity to be regarded just as our equals in what they boast about. Okay, so what he's saying is, this wasn't your idea. It wasn't you that came up with this idea that they should have charged you. This is the attack from the, the false prophets, trying to use whatever they can to get in the minds of the Corinthians. It's like, no, 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 you don't need to believe Paul. Dismiss Paul. Listen to me. If he was a real apostle, and then he's thrown out these things. He's thrown out these things. And they're trying to use these things as leverage to get themselves in. So they can make money from the gospel. So that they can get the allegiance from the Corinthians. So they can get their buy-in. Paul doesn't stand for that. No wonder. Verse 13. Such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no great thing if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their destiny will be according to their works. All right. Satan's often disguising himself. If he came out with a gospel completely different, or a Jesus that's completely different, 
or a spirit that was completely different, well, it would be kind of obvious. But Satan's schemes are a lot more subtle, right? He wants to make it look good. He always makes it seem like he's got more light. You've heard it said, but listen, I've got something that you have not heard. Think about it this way. You know, what was, it was off, it was in the form of a question. The Satan uses a question. Did God really say, did God really say you cannot eat from any tree in the garden? Did Satan even quote God correctly? No. Yeah. He could have said, did Satan really say you shouldn't eat from that one tree in the middle of the garden? He would have been like, yeah, I'm just not supposed to eat that one tree, but I have all these. What he said was, did God really say you can't eat from any of these trees? Like, how harsh is your God? Who does God think he is? Oh, he said that, did he? Oh, that's what you heard? That's what your teacher taught you? Well, let me tell you, I've got something a little bit more enlightened to share. Here's another thought. Why don't you try? Have you ever heard of Well, we're going to go back to the, the, this picture of, of marriage. And marriage and uh, the father of the bride. So we have God and his bride. And this is the, a beautiful theme, a beautiful picture of God's relationship with his people that he desires. If you go back to Hosea, I'm going to read two sections. One's in New Testament, uh, Old Testament, one's in New Testament. Hosea chapter 2, 8, 19 to 20. I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness, and you will know Yahweh. And he's talking to Israel. He's talking to his people. In Ephesians 5, 25 to 31, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. And since we are members of his body, it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother, and will be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is the profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So we know what marriage is can be, should be, what's described as in the word. And that's a picture of what God wants from his church and what he wants from his people and from our hearts. So the question is, 
why are we so distracted? Why are we so susceptible? Why is it that we seem like we're looking for extra attention, the flattery, the flirtation? Or maybe we're distracted and we're looking for an easier way. Maybe there's an easier way to follow Jesus. Why do I have to really commit Or maybe you're just naive. I didn't realize they were flirting with me. I didn't know I was being drawn in. But we do that with our hearts. I didn't realize they were going after my mind. I didn't realize that my heart was being pulled in this way. So he talks about somebody coming along, these other people, and presenting a different Christ and a different spirit and a different gospel. But there is no different Christ, and there is no different spirit, and there is no other gospel, right? That's the truth. That's that's the challenge here. Romans 8, verse 9, it says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So what is this gospel? What is this false gospel? How are we supposed to know the difference? I was talking to uh, one of the counselors for um, the the camp, the the youth camp they just had, and in the junior high, there was three lies that were listed as the three lies of Babylon. The Babylon system, the world system, will give you three lies. And if you listen to these, you might recognize them as false gospels. Can any of you remember one of the lies from the three deceptions of Babylon? And I have to look at Okay, Josh. Wait, you're a staff. Presley. Okay, you're a good person. Lie number one. You can do this alone. Okay. All right. That might be a number four on my... You, what's, what's another one? I'm not going to call on Josh unless it's the last resort. Three lies of Babylon. How about one that talks about the paths? All... Violet's got it. All paths... All these paths, they all really lead to God, right? Lie, Babylon. Jordan, I saw you for a second. Now you got to give me number three. A loving God would not send people to... Okay, good job, Jordan. We'll mark you down for memorizing that one. (laughs) More points for our cabin. (laughs) No, okay, so it's the three lies of Babylon with an added fourth. You are a good person. All paths lead to God. A loving God would not send you to hell. You can do this alone. Well, 
in Galatians, it says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is a different gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to change the good news about the Messiah. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. We have said before, and now I say it again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, a curse be on him. But I'm just wondering, why are, they, why are we so susceptible? Why were they so susceptible? I mean, they had the apostle Paul. Like, they, they got to hear from him. They heard the, the gospel, and they... they they knew what the spirit was like, and they, they heard about Jesus, and they, they heard the gospel as it was presented. It was so clear. What about us? No, you're going to have to wait. Why are we so easily lured? And that's what it is, a lure, right? Like, it looks like a nice fruit. Like, it looks like it's going to please. Like, it looks like it's going to make me happy. It's going to be easier. It's going to make me feel good. But inside, it's rotten. Or there's a hook waiting for you to chomp at the, bit, the bait. Because that's what Satan does. He disguises himself as an angel of light. So how? What can we do? And I'm thinking of the idea of pressing in. How do we press in on the Jesus that we know and the spirit that we know and the gospel that we know? Because I think that they were not satisfied. And I think sometimes in your life you get, we get bored. You're like, I'm not, I'm not satisfied. Is there something else? And I'm saying instead of going out looking, that we need to press in deeper into the Jesus that we have been taught and to the spirit that has been given and into the gospel in which we stand, right? So we've got to press in. And so I want to read, actually, I want someone to quote Psalm 8611. Who can quote Psalm 8611? Mason, JJ, Luke, Levi, Rowan, Jackson, Elijah, Elliot, come to the front. Come on. Do you know Psalm 8611? How about the girls? Hannah, Abby, Nova, Marley, can Nobody knows. Okay, well, that's why I'm glad I'm preaching today. I'm going to hit it. I'm going to hit it hard. Can you do it, Elijah? Teach me your way. Okay, who can do it? I'm going to have to pretend like I'm a little kid. JJ, can you do it? I don't know what he said. Levi, you want to do it? No? All right. I get it. It's kind of nervous. And you have to stand up here with me. I'm a little stinky. But I put up with your stinkiness all week long. <laughs> Psalm 86. You're going to go for it? All right. Give it a try. Oh, he was just changing. He, he, he finally realized where Levi was sitting. You know? Okay. All right, guys. 
let me read this to you. How are we going to press in? Teach me your way, Yahweh, and I will live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. And our kids were all quoting that, quoting that this week. They all had their different versions, NIRV, NIV, ESV, KJV, HSCB. So, but this idea of give me an undivided mind or heart. I memorize it, NIV. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. And I want you to picture something that's divided. I want you to picture something that could be complete and the effects of it being divided. And how healthy is it? How far does it get? How high does it grow? And I want you to picture this prayer of, Lord, give me an undivided heart, an undivided mind, so that I can fear your name, so that I can know your name, know who you are, and I can give you all of my, give you all of my love, all of my, well, heart, soul, mind, strength, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And that's my challenge this morning is if you're going to press into Jesus, we can ask God for help to be undivided. Do you think that's a prayer he's interested in answering? Lord, help me to be undivided in my heart and my mind. Can you do this alone? Violet says, she learned, no, we can't do this alone. We can't isolate ourselves and follow Jesus like we're a man on an island. There's an enemy out there that masquerades as the angel of light. And there's an enemy within that just wants to just convince you that you're okay. You're a good person. But without Christ and his death on the cross, you are not a good person. In fact, the kids learned this week about the Romans road. What's the gospel that we need to cling to and press in on? Have you guys heard of the Romans road? It's just a way of presenting the gospel all in the book of Romans. Why am I doing that? <laughs> I have this microphone. All right. Five stops along the Romans road. First stop is the, I call it loading zone. It's where everybody's getting in. It, it lays out the idea of God and his greatness. If you want to write it down, Romans 1, 18 to 20. Everybody knows who God is. Everybody can find out who God is. He's revealed himself. Stop two, but we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Stop two. <laughs> she said, what do you call that one? And I was like, stop two. All right, 
Stop two, Romans 3.23. In that, pa- in that section, it says, all people, whether Jew or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. And that's what I was trying to say. We are all under the power of sin. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away, become useless. No one does good, not a single one. You have not done good enough. You can't do good enough to outdo your bad. Everyone is in this place. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Stop three, Romans 6, 23. And it says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. God, in his holiness, he can't just hang out with your sin. There's a separation because of sin that happens. Sin is burned up in the presence of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a verse that says, I think it's in Ephesians, it says, for we were once objects of of wrath. We were like, we start off as either an enemy of God or we're either an enemy of God or we're on God's side. We're either in his kingdom or we're in our own kingdom. The gospel is really a a message of the kingdom. Jesus called the good news of the kingdom. And he says, I can bring you into the kingdom if you will follow me. Where did Jesus go? He went to the cross. As he was praying in the garden, God, not my will, but your will. And he's like, come on, guys, pray with me. Lord, if I, if I have to do this, Lord, this, or, or Father, if I have to do this, I will do it. Guys, pray, pray with me. You guys, remember this scene? Jesus chose humility and sacrifice. That's the path that his kingdom leads us. Stop four says, Romans 5, 8, stop four says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now that's love. Because you didn't deserve it, and I didn't deserve it. I was still a sinner when Jesus Christ died on the cross. I was still in this place. I had no reason for him to love me that much. But this demonstrates his tremendous love for me, is that he was willing to die on the cross, submitting to the Father's plan. Oh, and we know that he did it for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, right? Okay, earlier JJ quoted Romans 10, 9 and 10. Remember, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's the promise, that Jesus saves. Jesus is our savior. 
from certain death. The gift of life is eternal. And stop five on the Romans road is Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been justified by faith, and now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, there's a lot of other verses. You can look up Romans Road, or you can talk to me more. But divided hearts show up in divided loyalty. And you can't live in both kingdoms. You can't build the kingdom of yourself, and you can't build the kingdom of God at the same time. You have to follow Jesus. And Jesus is not living on both sides of the fence. It means salvation comes when you repent from your sin. And with humility and submission, just like Jesus, you follow him into, under his leadership. And that's what I think is scary, is that all these different gospels that our culture is trying to send out to us, or false teachers in the, in, in the Christian umbrella are trying to say that you're good, just do your own thing, whatever pleases you, because you're covered. Or don't worry about your sin. But I'm just like, God came, he saved us from our own self-rule. I can't, now that I'm saved, just think that I'm still in this like phase where it's just self-rule. In other words, if God came to save you from your sin, why do you think that you can just live in sin? We can't. We got to deal with it. And grow, follow Christ to where he's the Lord of our life. And the way we live is the way that he's telling us to live. It's through the Spirit. It's Jesus' Spirit that he's given to us to produce not our flesh, not the things that the flesh produce. We know what those are. We don't just whitewash those and say, well, now those are good. His Spirit is producing in us what? I'm thinking of some specific fruit. Anybody think of some specific fruit that might look like it's being developed in your life? Peace and joy and patience. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, humility. You don't want any other spirit because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of Christ in you is producing life. Life. Well...
I'm glad they put my sermon at the end of this morning. So I didn't make anybody else miss out on their opportunity. But I am going to invite Jim to pray for us as we close our time together. So, as he's coming up, I want to remind you of Psalm 8611. The prayer that says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I might live in your truth. Give me an undivided heart so that I might fear your name. 